from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Welcome to the Coco Crew Podcast. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. All right, welcome Coco Cruisers. You are listening to episode 87 of the Coco Crew Podcast. Woo! Let's see, Coco Fest, about eight months away. Of course, Tandy Assembly is just is coming our next month. Very exciting stuff. Of course, I'm John Linville, and uh, oh, we've got uh, Mr. Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, Coco Cruisers. And, of course, Mr. Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. And, of course, Mr. Boise Peed. Uh, hello, Mr. Boise. Hello, everybody, and uh, mm-hmm. greetings to the Coco world. All right, who's been doing anything cool or working on something fun recently? Who's got something cool they're working on? Anyone? It's summertime. Yes, I'm down. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. <laughs> tell you what I've been up to. I just spent the last week in the hospital dealing with uh, uh, a new diagnosis of congestive heart failure. Woohoo! A little bit of a a health risk for uh, lots of people in, in our overall age group and or uh, lifestyle, probably. <laughs> Those of you who have seen me know I'm a little on the bigger side and. Uh, Probably a little more of a candidate for this than uh, the average Joe. But uh, if you don't get up and move around uh, any more than I do, you're probably uh, putting yourself at risk for it. So do check into things. Make sure you're you're following your doctor's advice on your blood pressure and all that sort of stuff. I know personally in my life I've always had a little uh, love-hate relationship with my doctor over the blood pressure numbers. So as you say, it finally caught up with me. Had uh, experienced some shortness of breath, including waking up in the middle of the night to a um, what I would call a panic attack and being unable to breathe. It took me a few days uh, after that before I went and got things checked out, but unfortunately, uh, somebody at the urgent care was able to spot my what were probably pretty obvious symptoms and um, sent me on to the, to the emergency room. Immediately started working on uh, getting me, um, well, using di- diuretics to uh, drain some of the fluid off of my body. 17 liters later, I was feeling fairly decent. <laughs> anyway, not not the best experience I've ever had, but uh, I feel better overall now. So check in, check in things, get yourself checked out, and um, do take it a little easier than I did. Take, take the easier path and... Uh, Get to know your doctor and do what the doctor says. Don't don't be a hard head like I was. So, uh, so are we going to anyway. see more? Uh, are we going to see more cocoa health related projects from you, John? Maybe some uh, <laughs> cocoa blood pressure monitors or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm probably more open to that than I would have been in the past. <laughs> I don't know how to how to make the cocoa detect a blood pressure reading, but. Uh, That'd be interesting. <laughs> I think we have a challenge. Have a control of blood pressure cuff. That'd be pretty cool. 
Anyway, if I figure that out, I'll let you know. But uh, in the meantime, do check into your doctor's advice and do what the doctor says and take your blood pressure medicine and all that good stuff. How about any any new acquisitions? Anybody buy anything cool recently? Uh, I did, actually. Oh, yeah? Uh, I picked up a Coco 3 switchboard from Micro Haas. It's the new Coco 3 Mylar replacement. Oh, uh, yeah. Coco 3 keyboard. He also makes them, I believe, for the Coco 2 and the Coco 1. I didn't hook it up yet to a Coco 3. I only took it out the box, put it together. I had a keyboard sitting on the side that the Mylar was pretty much done for. I will say this. It looks fantastic in terms of packaging. Mike has done a terrific job with what I think of as just the presentation. The documentation is great. Presentation is itself of the product is great. I'm really impressed with it. It looks looks cool. I'm really anxious to try it out. That's cool. Cool. Very exciting. They have a lot of keyboards out there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And, and I will add that uh, at least his current pricing is extremely reasonable. I think it's $25 plus shipping. So it's wow. absolutely, yeah, it's uh, incredible in terms of value. Then get us enough to get us started. I guess it is. So that's our introduction. Get started. Why don't we take a little break and uh, we'll be back with uh, some announcements. Hi, I'm really enjoying playing games at the arcade. I was wondering if you had any arcade-style game controllers for the color computer. Well, we do sell joysticks for the Coco. Can you describe them? Well, they're plastic, fit in the palm of your hand. They have a plastic joystick, and there's a small push button on the side. Do they have spring return? Well, we also sell the deluxe joystick. It has spring return. What's it like? Well, they're plastic, fit in the palm of your hand. They have a plastic joystick, and there's a little push button on the side and one on the top. Uh, But we do sell some other brands, too. What are they like? Well, they're plastic, fit in the palm of your hand. They have plastic joystick, and there's uh, little push buttons on the side. Why play games with fragile, outdated plastic controllers? Move up to professional arcade quality with the Gamester. The Gamester is the ultimate two-button joystick controller for your color computer, Dragon or Tandy 1000. It features a genuine arcade quality joystick with two large arcade quality cherry switch buttons on a single surface. It sits comfortably on your lap or on your desk. Select custom furniture quality paint or stain finishes. Choose a right or left-handed configuration. And now you have the option of light-up LED buttons. Find out why so many others are delighted with the Gamester. To build yours, simply reach out to Neil Blanchard by email. Neil at CocoCrew.org. That's N-E-I-L at C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot org. For true arcade action, it's the Gamester. All right, Coco Cruisers, welcome back. Now it is time for some announcements. You are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. Woohoo! We are available on Twitter with a Twitter handle of at Coco Crew Podcast. That's at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you are prone to sending tweets or uh, reading tweets, feel free to tweet at us, and uh, we'll probably tweet back. Well, you never know, but it's possible. <laughs> We're, of course, available on Facebook. We have a Facebook group called The Coco Crew Podcast, all four words separate. So come and check us out. You maybe get some early news on uh, upcoming uh, editions of the podcast or just a general exchange of um, news and ideas with other like-minded Coco people. You're certainly welcome to join us and um, be part of the party. 
Let's see. We are, of course, a podcast. <laughs> so we're available. Of course, we have an RSS feed available at CocoCrew.org for the, the real DIY podcast type people. <laughs> also available through with listings uh, through Apple Podcasts and through Google Play. But, of course, if you, you prefer to, rather than downloading podcasts, if you prefer to stream them, we are available through Spotify, through Stitcher, and the, the service known as TuneIn. So however you want to reach us. If for some reason you, you're trying to, to find the podcast and can't easily find it, let us know where, you, where you're looking, and we'll see if we can get listed there. Uh, we have been for some time making or doing a transformation on our audio podcast into a, um, a video form. We make available on YouTube. If you prefer to digest a podcast through YouTube, then we are available there. One benefit to using YouTube is that YouTube has a pretty decent subtitling service. So um, if you are perhaps hearing impaired or if perhaps English is not your first language, then you may want to try checking out the podcast through YouTube. We are a member of the Throwback Network. This is a list of retro-themed podcasts with a variety of topics, many of them 80s technology-oriented, but others 80s culture and other stuff that, you know, old people like us might enjoy. (laughs) So if you are caught up with the Cocoa Crew podcast and looking for something else to listen to, then we recommend that you check out the Throwback Network. We are also listed on the Game by Game podcast information hub. This is also a list of retro-themed podcasts, in this case all technology and gaming, you know, home computer oriented. And again, if you are caught up with the Cocoa Crew podcast, we recommend that you take a look at the Game by Game podcast information hub. Audio for the Cocoa Crew podcast is hosted by CyberEars. If you have a need to host audio on the internet, whether it be for your own podcast or perhaps uh, for your social club or your place of worship, then we recommend that you check out Cyber Ears, where you will get your audio on your terms. If you want to reach out to the host of the Cocoa Crew podcast uh, via email, we have uh, some addresses set up. Verse 3 will reach all of the hosts, and these, are, of course, are show, S-H-O-W, at CocoaCrew.org. That's at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot O-R-G. We also have podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at CocoaCrew.org. And, of course, feedback. F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K at CocoCrew.org. And if for some reason you'd like to send email but only want to reach one of the hosts, then I'm available as John, J-O-H-N, at CocoCrew.org. Neil is uh, Neil, N-E-I-L, at CocoCrew.org. Mike is Mike, M-I-K-E, at CocoCrew.org. And Boise is B-O-I-S-Y, at CocoCrew.org. So, if you feel the need to reach out and touch someone (laughs) Um, via email, then um, feel free to make use of any of those email addresses. See, at this point, we have an uh, announcement of some events in real life that was, we feel might be of interest to our listeners. September 10th through 11th, 2022, we have the Vintage Computer Festival Midwest, which will be held in Elmhurst, Illinois, Waterford Banquets. The Vintage Computer Festival is a gathering of collectors, hobbyists, and curious observers who enjoy tinkering with the computers of decades past. No one can agree upon what constitutes vintage, but a general rule is anything made before 1990. But of course, there are exceptions for obscurity and novelty. You may find early home computers like the Commodore, Apple, and Atari, as well as once inaccessible business and scientific systems that cost tens of thousands of dollars in their day. 
At VCF Midwest, we welcome a variety of exhibits with emphasis on the creative and obscure. So <laughs> there you go. If you find yourself available September 10th through 11th of 2022 in the Chicagoland area, then we recommend that you check out Vintage Computer Festival Midwest 17. All right. Of course, the big event coming up September 30th through October 2nd, 2022. We're talking about Tandy Assembly held in Springfield, Ohio. This is uh, our big Tandy event. We welcome Tandys of all types. We'll have, uh, of course, all the various original business-oriented machines, the Z80 machines, uh, original Model 1. We'll have the the portables, Model 100s, and the like. Almost certainly be some Tandy 1000s. Hopefully, there'll be a few Cocos there. There'll be pocket computers, all kinds of cool stuff, and MC10. Maybe a few other things kind of tangentially related to Tandy. Um, and if nothing else, we'll have some Tandy memorabilia. We'll maybe get uh, uh, Randy to drag out his uh, Radio Shack sign. <laughs> It'll be a cool event held in Springfield, Ohio, September 30th through October 2nd. Be sure to check out our Tech Track, which is our special Friday event, which consists of a set of highly technical and informative classes taught by some of the leading figures in the vintage Tandy Radio Shack Terrace 80 community. Very exciting stuff. I know everyone here is excited about Andy Assembly. What else is there to say? Be there or be square. <laughs> Moving on, October 14th through the 16th, 2022, over the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. This, of course, is uh, Portland, Oregon. What is the Portland Retro Gaming Expo? Retro Gaming Expo, Inc. is a Portland, Oregon-based 501c4 nonprofit cooperative organization dedicated to creating awareness of and appreciation for classic video and arcade games through the presentation of events and conventions that celebrate the historic contribution video games have made and continue to make in popular culture. I've never been to PRGA, PRGE, always heard good things. If you are in the Pacific Northwest, then I highly recommend that you go and check out PRGE and then uh, send us some feedback, let us know how it went. Let's see, oh, let's see, we've got one more event here at uh, October, the third week of October, October 22nd, I guess the time of the fourth week. Dragon Meetup 2022. Oh, October 22nd and 23rd. I have to adjust that. At Blanco's Hotel, Port Talbot. A great opportunity for us to get together and see each other's wares and discuss all things Dragon. And yes, there will be a pilgrimage to the Dragon Data Kenfig Factory on Saturday for photo opportunities. Between Swansea and Cardiff, a little closer to Swansea. So, if that uh, geography is compatible with travel for you, then <laughs> uh, we, ch- we recommend that you check out Dragon Meetup, October 22nd, 2022. Still have only a tentative date here, but um, April 22nd and 23rd of 2023 for Cocoa Fest 2023. So, pencil it in. It may change. Not really up to us. After that, the next event I've got on my list, July 28th to 30th, 2023. The 10th Annual Southern Fried Gaming Expo, which will be held at the, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Marriott Renaissance Waverly Place, July 28th to 30th, 2023. Definitely a cool event. Um, you had a good track record. I have not made it yet, but uh, maybe someday. <laughs> well, that's all we've got for events in real life. So why don't we take a little break, and we will be back with some news. Burke and Burke 
have shattered the cost of owning a real hard drive for your Tandy color computer system. You need a hard drive, so take a look. And you want it to be easy on your pocketbook. Go, go XT. Go, go XT. PC hard drive, a controller too. Up to 120 meg of storage for you. Connecting a PC hard disk to your color computer has never been easier. The Coco XT from Burke & Burke allows you to connect one or two low-cost PC hard disks to your color computer. Add a hard disk to your color computer for as little as $450. Coco XT. The Coco XT hard disk interface from Burke & Burke. Since 1994, Cloud9 has been making cool stuff for your color computer. Like the Cloud9 Mini Flash, a flash cartridge for your color computer or Dragon. The Mini Flash gives you a total of four 16K banks of flash memory. You can easily flash ROM images into any of the four 16K banks. Store your favorite DOS ROMs and game packs on the Mini Flash. And the Mini Flash is perfect for prototyping your own ROMs without the need for an EEPROM burner. The Mini Flash comes with flash programming software and test utilities. It's preloaded with HDB DOS for DriveWire and two games from Retro Tinker, Coco Dooku and Follow Coco, so you can use the Mini Flash immediately. The Cloud9 Mini Flash works on all color computer and Dragon models and is housed in a high-quality injection molded cartridge case. The Mini Flash, only from Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. All right, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Now it's time for some news. All right, our first link this month is from Tim Lindner. It is the Write Protect problem. This is a pretty cool little write-up that Tim has done. Tim works a lot on the main project for the uh, color computer compatibility and uh, talks about a bug that appeared in MAME recently. OS 9 will not boot for a copy-protected disk image. So if you've got like the Write Protect tab on a floppy, it won't boot from it. That's a feature of OS 9. And I uh, was running into this problem with MAME thinking that a disk was write protected. In this write-up, he talks about how the interrupt request happens when that write protect notch is covered. So uh, he wrote a little machine language program to get the timing of how long it took to detect this so that he could emulate that in MAME so that uh, it would wait long enough. I guess I guess what was happening is it wasn't waiting long enough to, to detect whether or not there was a copyright, uh, copy-protected disk. Uh, you know, of course, all this is emulated, but uh, it's a neat write-up, neat little piece of code if you want to try it out. Pretty educational, and he also has a little spreadsheet, uh, Google spreadsheet out there with the, the different timings that he came up with for uh, different controllers, so pretty cool. From the Nerdly Pleasures blog, it's the modern unfriendliness of 8-bit keyboard layouts. As you know, if you've worked on the Coco for any amount of time, or TRS-80 in general, uh, or any retro computer from the early days, 8-bit computers, it can drive you nuts going from your work keyboard <laughs> to your 8-bit uh, your keyboard. I know when I do a lot of Coco programming, you know, if I'm using a Coco keyboard, I'm always going to... Shift two for the double quotes, and then I'll start right. doing that at work. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> same thing on the the model four, the the model one. Those are kind of a tandy thing. 
because uh, there weren't a lot of standards back then for keyboards uh, until IBM's keyboard came up and everybody just kind of adopted that keyboard layout. So uh, this article just kind of covers the differences on some of the different keyboards like the Apple, the TRS-80, the Atari, and uh, even the Sinclair computers, which uh, probably are at the bottom of the list as far as <laughs> different <laughs> different characters on yeah, completely different keyboards if you could even type on them. So, but it's a it's cool to write up and uh, talks about how some of these things are are uh, worked around. I know my life became a lot easier when I got one of uh, Cloud 9's PS2 keyboard adapters because then I could use a a regular 104 key keyboard on my Coco and not drive myself insane going back and forth between work and my uh, color computer. So, neat write up. You should uh, definitely check it out. Yeah, I enjoy this write-up, too. Uh, it is something that I think was long overdue and a good analysis. I wanted to see something about Coco keyboards, specifically the Coco one, because of the chiclet aspect of it. I think that certainly uh, puts it there as an outlier as well. I would hate to have to go from a Coco one keyboard to a modern keyboard every day. That would drive me insane. <laughs> I actually like the Coco One keyboard quite a bit. I I have never really had that much of a problem. I guess it depends on your typing style. Your touch typist, yeah. I'm sure, it would drive you nuts, but I'm not. Yeah. So pretty easy for me to adapt to. I I, I got pretty used to the Coco One. I I just keyboard. find that as they get older, as they age, you have to slam down a bit harder, and almost uh, you can't really like be off to the side on the key to get it to depress right. You have to really be on top of it and push down. So you have to be a in my experience, you have to be a hard typist. You have to really punch down on those keys. You can't be a soft typist, especially if you use a, say, a keyboard on a modern MacBook Pro or something like that. That's really, you know, glide touch. You, you're not going to get that same feel on the on the Chiclet keyboard. Sounds like you need to uh, get a board from Mr. Rojas. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Get that Coco one working like a dream again. <laughs> All right, this next one is from Tom Nardi at Hackaday. The little light gun that could. The Sinden makes good. This is a light gun. Uh, I think this is actually aimed in the article. I forget which gaming system they're using with this. I guess he's using yeah, it with Raspberry Pi 4. It's a, US, it's a USB light gun, right? I think yeah. so. Yeah, it's a USB light gun. So this uh, article talks about coming up with, with drivers for the, uh, the Sinden light gun. Looks like it's been in development uh, for a while, but uh, gives you the same kind of, uh, you know, shoot the screen action like we had on the Coco with the uh, with Iron Forest and those uh, DICOM games. Uh, brings that that back. So uh, you want to talk a little bit more about this, John? This sounds more like a, a not a Coco project, but could be kind of. Yeah, it's. I remember we stories about this early on in the in the podcast history. You know, it's just a, a basic technology problem that, you know, the CRT-based technology for a light gun uh, just don't work with modern um, displays. I remember this device being kind of announced, and uh, we had some coverage of it. And so when I saw it was closer to release, I figured that was worth some coverage. I'm sure it would take some digging in to be able to make something that would work with a Cocoa, but I think you probably could do it, so... Not a Coco project, but maybe it could be. Yeah, I think what's kind of unique about it is how it determines the screen location, triangulation between uh, like a frame that it puts around the screen. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of coding involved to kind of adapt 
existing games by uh, superimposing this uh, frame that allows the gun to detect, you know, where it's pointing. So kind of cool, kind of interesting, and that that definitely could I could see that would uh, be possible. Um, Pretty neat. And we have an update here. uh, This is from Alan Huffman, updated by Jamie Cho. Invaders 09 game for OS 9 on GitHub. This is a game that Jamie created uh, quite a while ago, Invaders 09 game, and he's posted the the code out there. Uh, He's ported this to several different platforms, including the uh, Macintosh uh, and uh, a few others. So uh, this game has been around. I don't know that it's been out on OS 9 before, but the code is out on GitHub if you want to grab it and uh, spin it up and play it for yourself. Pretty good little package of code there, I think, from Jamie. Yeah, this, this stuff is uh, is really cool to look at. Well done. The next link from uh, Hackaday, uh, article by Jenny List. says, mechanical keyboard, keyboards are over this device one. <laughs> Which is kind of, kind of funny because it's, um, it may be a mechanical keyboard in the strictest sense, uh, but it doesn't look much like a keyboard. You certainly wouldn't want to type on it. Um, <laughs> I think it's just an array of switches that you just flip. It's all, it almost is more like a, a front panel from um, the S100 days. You flip out the uh, eight bits on the yes, eight switches for the eight bits of the keyboard, and then uh, just read from it. <laughs> so basically, just a big block of wood as uh, some switches. But definitely gets to the point. If you did want to, ultimately needed a, a a bare bones digital input mechanism for your cocoa or for anything else, you can make something like this. <laughs> Is it practical? Probably not. I doubt if there'll be anyone taking orders for these, but uh, it's kind of cool. Like I said, it's just a big brick of uh, wood with some switches on it. Really, what is a keyboard anyway? So there you go. Check it out. Let us know what you think. All right, Facebook link from Jason Thorpe is a new person that I'm not really very familiar with, but Jason has published a link to a project on GitHub where he's made the Motorola MC6839 floating point firmware available. That's for the written for the 6809, which I think I guess was a piece of software you could get back in the day from Motorola that you could integrate onto your designs. And uh, basically, you know, dump into memory at a certain offset to execute various routines to do floating point math. Jason has uh, uh, resurrected up to code and uh, made it available. I guess he's got it assembling with the SM6809, and it gives you access to IEEE 754 floating point library for your 6809. It would be useful if you have the need to manipulate uh, floating point numbers uh, with a 6809 uh, machine. There's two links here. So the second link is a modified 6809 emulator to add a test compare instruction. It does some checking on the library to make sure it's working correctly. If you have a need uh, for the 6809 uh, floating point code, if you have a need for it, then I guess you have a need to make sure it works correctly. So Jason has given you that part as well. Very cool. Thank you, Jason. Cool to see that work done. Another Hackaday link from Dan Maloney. 
says this Arduino pen plotter is built for speed. And so basically someone's uh, got a mechanism they put together for, they can do basically the robotics aspect of uh, moving a pen around on a piece of paper. You can control it with an Arduino. Pretty cool project. And there's something that I would assume that this is something that could be interfaced to a Cocoa and somebody just has to do it. You know, you and me, we've been together for a long time. And when you're working so hard, things can get a little hot. And you've got to find a way to cool it down. Cool down your color computer with the Cocoa Cooler from REM Industries. It brings down the operating temperature to ambient, regardless of accessory load. Reduces temperature of the entire computer, not just the same chip. Easy one minute installation. And it's just $39.95. And now offering the Cocoa Cooler 2. It's the same price and the same fit for the Color Computer 2. Don't let your Color Computer get too hot. Cool it down with the Cocoa Cooler. For fastest service and money order or certified check, add $2 shipping for continental U.S. Add $4 shipping for Alaska, Hawaii, Canada, and APOs. Add $15 shipping for overseas. Add $3 for 220 to 250-volt model. California residents add 6.5% sales tax. We'll ship COD on USA shipments only. All merchandise shipped from stock. Cocoa Cooler is a product of REM Industries Incorporated, Chatsworth, California. New from Maxis Electronics and Software Company. Get up to one megabyte expansion. Introducing the Color Burst. The Color Burst plugs into your color computer and offers incredible features. Six software selectable expansion ports. Disc controller cartridge connector in the back. Parallel printer interface. 2K pages mapped anywhere. Programmable write protection by page. Programmable timer for single stepping through ROM routines. Make disk spooling and RAM disks transparent to user programs. OS9 and RS-DOS compatible. The Color Burst comes in five models. 64K just $570. 128K $599. 256K $640. 512K $700. And our whopping one megabyte unit is just $9.99. The Colorburst Expansion Unit from Maxis, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay, moving on from there. Let's see, I got a link, Facebook link from Jim Geary. It's a link to TRS80GP, a TRS80 Model 1234126000 MC10 DT1 Video Text Emulator. So basically, it's uh, we've got a an extra emulator out there in the world mm-hmm. alongside of uh, MAME and uh, all the other emulators. Uh, we've got this TRS-80GP. Uh, I think that's been w- one of the more popular emulators in the Z80 world. It looks like it's adding some support for the MC-10, so along with Xrover, I guess. <laughs> Very cool. The next news item. High-level overview of space-powered Kamiko gameplay by Mr. Chet Simpson. This is a YouTube video that Chet has posted. It's approximately 15 minutes in length. And Chet goes over all of the various uh, screens, it looks like, in terms of gameplay. And this is more than just to shoot them up, apparently. There tends to be some, looks like some uh, different screens. I don't know if there's some puzzles involved, but looks like there's some things going on in the game that's uh, more than just shooting things up. I see some uh, treasure collected screens, some good graphics that look like a console with some text above. Pretty neat. Chet, of course, is a prolific game programmer for the Coco. Does terrific work and maybe is a little controversial, but 
you can't deny his technical chops. Yeah, it looks amazing, and the, uh, the the graphics design and everything of it's really cool. The next use item, I have figured out how to make a universal keyboard connector for all three Cocos, one, two, and three, from Mr. Mike Rojas. This is a Facebook post that Mike made on July 17th, showing what is inevitably what I think is a great product, and one that so far has not made it to market by anyone else that I'm aware of, and that is a replacement for the oft-failing Mylar on the Coco 2 and Coco 3, and a replacement for the Coco 1 as well. This product replaces the Mylar with a PCB board and a spacer board, and the weak link on the Mylar keyboard tends to be that connector that juts out the front of the keyboard and plugs into the connector on the Coco motherboard. Mike has replaced that with a plug-in adapter with some very small pins that you can literally unplug from the keyboard, very flexible, just a flexible connector, if you will, flexible piece of mylar, small piece, but it's a sacrificial piece, and I'm sure it's easy to replace. As I mentioned in the introduction of the show, I bought one of these. I have put it together on a Coco 3 keyboard that had a failed mylar. I haven't tried it yet. I can say that just typing on it, it feels just like a regular Coco 3 keyboard. It doesn't feel any different. It is different when you look on the back of it. It has this big red board on the back, but that's it. You can't tell when you put it back in a Coco 3. I'm sure that it operates just as a Coco 3, and I'm very excited to try it out. Very cool. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, uh, this is good product. We need projects like this. Uh, and I know that Mark and Cloud9 has been working on something like this on the side. So there are some other possible entrants to the market here, but it looks like Mike got it first in terms of making it uh, overtly available. The next news item is I have just built my game Cross Snake, written in C with my Cross Live framework for 200 different systems for the Coco in four color bitmap mode by Mr. Fabrizio Caruso. This is a Facebook post of a video that I'm not familiar with the game. It looks like almost like Centipede in a way, but it's not Centipede. It does have a snake that looks like a centipede crawling around. What's interesting is that if you look at the link in the post, he puts a link to his GitHub page. He has a apparently a cross library that is an abstraction layer for 8-bit systems uh, for graphics and so forth. So that's pretty cool. Open source and... This is a proof of concept that it works on at least the Coco. The next news item is, okay, time to fess up as to what I'm planning to port to the MC10X by Simon Jonason. This is a Facebook post, and it is a single image of Timberman. Paul Thayer made Timberman. I believe Paul was learning assembly language through Simon's tutelage. I have a copy of Timberman. It's an excellent game. Now it's being ported to the MC-10 in assembly from the 6809. So the masters of 6809 assembly teaching have decided to backport this game. I think this is really cool. Yeah, it should be pretty cool on the MC-10, I think. Yeah, yeah and yeah. probably a game that would fit pretty easily on the MC-10, right, John? Yeah, I would think so. Like I said, it should be a, a good match for the graphic assets, and hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, the image itself looks colorful. Uh, just great work. You can tell it's going to be exciting. Good work, guys. 
All right, uh, next news article is titled Data Structures, 6809 Assembly Language and You by Chet Simpson. Uh, this is a half an hour uh, YouTube discussion video on defining and using data structures in 6809 assembly language while gaining inheritance with examples for legacy assemblers like EdTASM Plus and modern assemblers like LWSM and KSM. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a, a different direction for the videos that uh, Chet's been making. Uh, a little more um, didactic, is that the right term? A pedagogical. Pedagogical, yeah, that's right. If you're put off by Chet's overall style, maybe this is a different one to try. Right. And um, check it out. This is the Professor Chet. Professor Chet. I, I, I like I like how he ends the title. And you, I can see him pointing to you, you know, like Uncle Sam would do with his finger. <laughs> kind of cool. Go, Chet. All right. Uh, next news article is titled, Hey, everyone, I wanted to make a post about a project of mine that can relate to the content of this group by Will Pitts. This is a cool project. I was checking it out earlier. He's built pretty much one of the latest PC builds with a five and a quarter floppy read-write system. So you can make disk images for your Coco on this modern machine. And this is a, believe it or not, water-cooled Windows 11 Core i7 rig. He doesn't give much detail on it, but blowing up the pictures here, I can see the floppy drive is interfaced directly to the motherboard. So he must be using one of the last generation i7 boards that actually has a floppy controller on it. What is cool to note about this is most biases on the later boards, such as this era, don't actually support 5.25 360K. So I don't know if he has this in 1.2 meg mode and it just works fine. So that, that's really cool that this is working. Yeah, very neat to see. There, I think there is still a need for this type of system, and it would be nice that you wouldn't have to go scrounging for old motherboards to try to get a five and a quarter inch working. Right. Yeah, because who has time for that kind of stuff? <laughs> All right, the next news article is, I've been working on an online DSK editor for the Coco. Currently, it only works with standard 35-track floppy images by James Rye. That's a cool project. Uh, from what I take of this, it looks like you this actually works on the web. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah it that, seems to. You know, who would ever thought years ago we'd actually be manipulating floppy disk images for the Coco, you know, through a web browser? That's pretty amazing. It's all about. crazy for sure. All right, next one is VDG Study, July 2022 by Tim Lindner. So Tim does another uh, blog entry on his... Uh, website here and he was uh, what spawned this is he was recently informed of some inaccuracies with the various VDG text screens emulated in MAME. So he goes through and shows the different modes. Coco 2, Coco 2B, Coco 3. So it's, a, it's a good good read here. Yeah, it's amazing that there's that much information he had. Sometimes you just have to go through and do the work, right? What Tim's doing there. Very nice. Great work, Tim. Here's another one from Fabrizio Caruso. He's the guy with the cross-compatibility library for um, ideas to sort of write once and have games pop out on a number of different machines. This one he's talking about is called Cross Bomber. 
Frost Bomber is a minigame and clone of Air Attack slash Blitz. You must land your bomber plane in a ghost town, and to do so, you have to destroy all buildings. The game uses any button. Video shows the game built in four-color mode for the color computer. Definitely check it out. Watch the video. Nice to see some uh, some real games come out of uh, that effort. It looks like a, a way to, to uh, spend some time, have some fun. Very nice. Thank you, Fabrizio. The next one is a link from a different group. This is a group for the VZ200, VZ300, Laser 210, Laser 310. Somebody who's pretty productive over there called uh, David Monder. He's pretty comparable in terms of the kind of stuff he does to, to as a comparison to hold up against uh, Simon Jonathan. He's got up a picture of uh, Ghost Rush, which is a phenomenal game from uh, Paul Shoemaker for the MC10. And he says, just to prove to everyone that I've started on this and I'm doing something each Arvo. <laughs> I think that might be some sort of Australian slang. I don't really get it. Paul wrote it for the Coco <laughs> nine in six weeks. Simon ported it to the MC10 68-3 in about three days. And here I am trying to be able to, to read this here, 68-3 dribble, alien code to me. Far it has uh, all been from Total Square and Z80 Assembly. So kind of nice to see uh, the different machines cross-pollinate each other. They have similar graphics hardware. And so it makes sense that they'd be able to do similar games, different uh, CPU uh, translations, but the games look pretty much the same. Check it out. If you aren't already collecting for the VZ200, maybe it's something you should look at, think about. Kind of in the same club, so uh, check them out and see what they're up to. Arvo is Australian for afternoon. Oh, there you go. <laughs> thought it was Australian. <laughs> So moving on, the next thing we have, uh, have a link to a GitHub repository, RSA for color computers. Because this is a program for the Tandy Radio Shack TS80 color computer to perform RSA key generation, encryption, and decryption. The code is all written in 6809 assembly. It will operate with up to 2048-bit keys. So... <laughs> Possibly an exercise in futility, <laughs> at least in terms of practicality, but still an interested, an interesting take on yeah. because you can, right? You have got to admire this, man. This is some cool stuff. Practically, probably not there, but I admire this guy for taking this on. This is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely cool. Like I said, ultimately the numbers probably out. Numbers are numbers, so... Should be able to interface the output of this with the equivalent code on uh, modern machines if need be. Of course, the amount of time it takes to do these things is bound to be uh, longer than practical for most of us. But uh, like you said, check it out. Definitely a, a triumph in the uh, because I can sort of way. And that's uh, from uh, someone uh, at GitHub named Barbara D. We have a link. Facebook link from the Club of Color Brazil. The link is from Victor Trugo. It says, from the series, I drew because I could, but I don't know if I would. I think this is a kind of a hint at um, 
a, a board for the uh, CP400 that would be similar to the Super Sprite board in terms of having the uh, 9958 graphics hardware and the OPLL uh, audio hardware. I don't know if this is something he's actually doing or something he plans to do. Obviously, it uh, looks like it could be this first step of some sort of proof of concept. Like I said, the Super Sprite board in the Dragon World already exists, so it at least shows that these things are possible. So, <laughs> cool. Thank you, Victor. For real cricket action on your Dragon 32, it's Tim Loves Cricket. You have to see it to believe it. Bowling, batting, and fielding all under joystick control. With batting and bowling action in big, animated graphics. Personal Computer Games calls it brilliant and ingenious. Home Computing Weekly names it remarkable with fantastic detail. Guaranteed to make a Spectrum owner sick as a parrot. Tim Loves Cricket is just $8.95 from Peepsoft. The Dragon microcomputer was launched in the UK last year. Since then, we have developed a knowledge and mastery of the machine's capabilities. You can benefit from our experience by subscribing to Dragon User, which is expanding its coverage to include all US developments. Each issue of Dragon User contains reviews of the latest software, programming advice for beginners, hardware projects, program listings for games and utilities, reviews of Dragon peripherals, technical advisory service, programming articles for users. Dragon User is only $29.95 for 12 issues, airspeeded to US and Canada. Make the most of your new Dragon microcomputer with Dragon User, the international independent magazine for Dragon owners. The next news item is 2023 Cocoa Fest venue considerations by Mr. Jim Brain. This is a post on the Glenside Color Computer website from Jim, very detailed information about the intent to move the Cocoa Fest over to a new venue. The old venue, or I shouldn't say old, but the venue we had last year was inadequate in some ways. In some ways it was okay, but the biggest impediment, I believe, is that they raised the price to an absolute ridiculous amount for this year for the fest. So the fest folks were forced to look for another venue. In this article, Jim talks about where it's likely to be held at. He adds some pictures so you can see the rooms. It looks nice. I think it's a little bit closer to where the Heron Point Convention Center was, a bit west of that. That was the fest location for a number of years before the venue last year in Elk Grove Village. So thank you, Jim. Looks like it's a good bit of information to digest. I fully support the move myself. I know John does, given our experience we had at the uh, Holiday Inn there in Elk Grove Village. Yeah, it seemed obvious that they didn't really want our business. Yeah, that puts it mildly, I think. Thank you, Jim. That's great stuff. The next news item is my contribution to it is a source level debugger with processor state and memory display by Mr. Mike Rojas, the same gentleman we just talked about with the keyboard. This is a Facebook post and a video that Mike put up. Apparently he extended the VCC, which is the it 
he's talking about, which is a virtual color computer simulator on Windows. I don't use Windows, so I don't use VCC, but he extended it with a debugger. This is cool. MAME has this functionality that you can actually sit and set breakpoints and step through 6809 or 6309 code. Mike has added this to VCC. It looks like he forked the GitHub project and added that. So good job, Mike. So, I mean, that's a cool thing. You have a, a, an emulator that's specific to the device that you're working with or whatever. You can theoretically add special features to it. That's the downside is, you know, in something like AIM, those special features may already exist because somebody else already needed them. So it's always a trade-off, right? But uh, it's good to see Mike has stepped up and provided the code for us. Hopefully it's fit for purpose, I guess is what I would say. Um, I assume it is. I have it myself. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, certainly a welcome addition to that project. The next news item is an interesting one. Why find a parallel port ASCII art dot matrix printer by Element 14 at YouTube? This is a YouTube video of what, and I haven't watched the video, but scanning through it, a Wi-Fi to parallel port dot matrix printer interface. Right, John? Is that what this is? Yeah, it's fairly generic, um, but it's a way for somebody to deliver a, a network printer port to a, a device that was would not otherwise have understood uh, that it was on a network. <laughs> so it's basically kind of a port on a stick, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, he even puts the schematic in the video, talks about the design, and I could see how this would be useful for older printers with parallel ports like the Star NX1000 or other Tandy uh, printers. That would be kind of a neat thing to have. Good job. The next news item is Tandy Radio Shack Coco 3 Extended Color Basic versus Raspberry Pi Pico MM Basic by Adlerson Retrocomputing at YouTube. This is a video. It's actually not very long, about two minutes, and does what appears to be a very quick and abridged comparison of Extended Color Basic versus Basic on a Raspberry Pi. I don't know how you can shoehorn that kind of topic in two minutes. Apparently he does. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot to add there, but... Our next news article, New OS for Commodore 64 adds modern features by Brian Cockfield. This is a pretty cool project. I mean, it's uh, I guess they're trying to make the Commodore 64 relevant again. Uh, so <laughs> like Windows-based... Uh, Menu or menu uh, drag, with draggable icons, maxed on menu bar. It's got quite a bit of features here. Claims it'll give Windows 3.1 a run for its money. So it <laughs> looks pretty cool on the video here. Yeah. Well, that was a big enough news item that even people that work with me at Red Hat were saying, hey, did you see that? So <laughs> I had to cover it. Not a Cocoa project, maybe it could be, something like that. Definitely. All right, our next news article, Static RAM, board for the Coco 2 Model 26-3134 by Rocky Hill at YouTube. Rocky Hill is just, uh, he's cranking it out. I mean, these cool uh, products that we actually do need for the Coco. So this is a memory board for the uh, 
infamous 263134 model that uses the daughter card, like the daughter board range yeah. engine. Yeah, They're very, very hard cool. to find. They're out there, but it's a certain motherboard. It's not just tied to that model number, but there's a specific revision of the Coco 2 motherboard. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Korean-made one. I don't recall, that's, but... Okay. Yeah, I was thinking it was yeah. Korean as well. Yeah, that's what stands yeah. out in my memory. Yep. Right, I, it just had the little so. plug-in modules, like one of the later ones. You you could up yeah you could upgrade it with eight chips or two chips or this it was a very versatile motherboard oh. for upgrading to 64k yeah that's good to see the Coco two getting some love as well yes yes absolutely. all right uh, next news article moving on here is elements of chaos memory allocators pilot this is uh, another one from Chet Simpson. A 30-minute video, roughly 30 minutes, on YouTube. Professor Chen. It's a pilot, pilot episode for Elements of Chaos, diving into the topic of memory allocators in Motorola 6809 assembly language. We've really got some good high-level uh, technical videos out there on uh, 6809 yes. and uh, various the approaches and the methods used uh, for a lot of this high-end code. So uh, really, really great to have it out here in the community. Well, definitely. Yeah. All right, the uh, next news article is titled, Well, I have put a lot of work into updating my file copy utility so that it can navigate SDC DOS by Carl England. Carl England, um, he's a great guy. He's, he's the guy that brought us uh, Backup Magic, Defeater from back in the day, and even Backup 3 for copying uh, copyrighted disks on the Coco 3. Now, these programs actually work on the physical Coco, so you don't have to have any uh, external hardware Pretty much copies any disk that I've ever seen, too. Uh, so it's it's really good software. Also, Carl was on our show here. Uh, if you want to listen to the interview, if you missed it, on episode 58, you can catch him on there. But what he's doing is he's updating his um, copying utilities so that it works with the uh, updated SDC DOS, which is on the Coco SDC. So that's uh, great work to see this. This is very this going to be very handy to have. Yeah, Carl's been a long-time Coco user and provider of Coco software for copying, so he's well-versed in that in that effort in that area. Great work. Good to see him still active. Thanks, Carl. Our next link is from Robin Carey at Hackaday. Hackaday Prize 2022 Modern Plugin Gives TRS-80 Its Voice Back. This is a neat little project. This is a modern version for the, uh, the TRS-80 Model 1, and it emulates the original Radio Shack voice synthesizer. So it's Looks software like it, compatible? It's, yes, it's totally software compatible. It's, the, it's called the Talker 80 project. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. And it's cool that it's uh, software compatible. Yeah, it's, it's an Arduino that uh, it's using. So that's pretty neat because these things are not easy to find or definitely harder to find than they once were. Based on its interface, this is something you could probably, without a great bit of difficulty, adapt to use on a color computer. Uh, you, yeah. of course, would have to come up with some code for it, of course, but pretty neat. Yeah, well, not a Cocoa project, but it ought to be, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although the Cocoa doesn't really have a shortage of uh, voice synthesizer options out there. Uh, no, that's true. In its history, but... Uh, but, yeah, I don't know that anybody's producing one now, so. Yeah. 
And who doesn't need a robotic voice from the 70s uh, coming out of their, their retro computer? That's right. And then, of course, there's a lot of Cocoa games that uh, use that for the sound and speech pack. So yeah. pretty cool. Our next one is from Gary Explains at YouTube. Uh, this YouTube video, build your own computer, emulate RAM ROM for 6502 using Raspberry Pi Pico. And uh, this is kind of an interesting way to dynamically experiment with uh, your ROM or, you know, to emulate RAM as well. So you could uh, quickly get a CPU up and running. Of course, this is the 6502, but there's no reason you couldn't do the same thing for, you know, Z80 or, of course, the 6809 or the 6309. Pretty cool way to do it. I mean, that's how far technology has come is we've got a tiny little Raspberry Pi Pico, and it has no problems. <laughs> keeping up with the speed demands of a color computer uh, or a 6502 uh, and a cheap way to give you kind of a software definable environment for uh, RAM and ROM. And uh, it allow you to easily go into the Raspberry Pi and say, well, I want to change the ROM. I want to add more RAM, that kind of a thing. So pretty slick project, good, uh, good kind of template for anybody wanting to do a, a project like this. Cheap way to do it as well without having to have a lot of the support components. So, very cool. Our next one is from Dude Guy at Atari Age. A good portion of NES, Super NES, and Genesis cartridges look like they were beaten to hell and back. <laughs> yeah. And that includes probably some uh, Cocoa cartridges too, if, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if it takes an effect, some of the ones I've seen with the torn labels and yeah. And corroded contacts or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Just the fact that they were a physical thing that kids would play with, and they tell the kids, you know, turn them off before you plug or, or you know, unplug them or whatever. But always there's somebody who wanted to play games, and what happens if I pull this cartridge while the game's running or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe not at your house, but at my house. And yet they still work after all these years. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes you need like a you know pencil eraser over the contacts or something, but then they're good to go. Right. Yeah. And our final story this month is from Odd Time Clips at YouTube. Non-musician explains music theory, bad music advice. <laughs> it's pretty well, funny. Definitely inspired by my love of these uh, music theory videos to slip in here. There's always somebody who can come in and make a bigger jack uh, butthole of themselves, you know. And <laughs> it's uh, sort of making its point, I think. But you can take some of that stuff too seriously and, you know, maybe not seriously enough. But thought it was a funny video. All right, well, is that that's the end of our uh, news segment? All right, why don't we uh, take a little break here, so we'll get out. We'll be back with uh, some feedback. This month in Coco history. Welcome to This Month in Coco history, where we explore events in the life of our favorite home computer. I'm Boise Pete. And this month we go back 39 years to an advertisement for hardware and software that had a little something for everyone. 
Page 81 of the August 1983 issue of Color Computer Magazine contains a full-page ad from Spectrum Projects, a well-known hardware and software company out of Woodhaven, New York. The ad contains hardware offerings such as an RS-232 expansion cable for $20, 16K and 64K RAM chips for $995 and $4995 respectively, basic ROM 1.1 for $36, and EEPROM programmers for $99.95. Also featured is Colorcom E, a quote, superb smart terminal program for the color computer, end quote. Available on disc or cassette, Colorcom E boasts of modem support up to 1200 baud, online and offline scrolling, automatic file capture, and efficient in-memory data storage. There is even an offline buffer editing feature that allows you to select any portion of the received data for printing. Spectrum projects would go on to feature prominently in Cocoa-focused magazines for years to come, along with occasional commentary by its colorful owner, Bob Rosen. And that's this month in Cocoa History. For years, air fresheners have been used to hide unpleasant odors. But until now, your choices have always been wildflowers, potpourri, country spices, citrus, and other floral derivatives. That's all about to change with new RetroFresh from Jackson & Jackson. RetroFresh is a walk down memory lane. Each fragrant mist smells like your favorite retro computers. Salmon patties for dinner? Now it's the scent of printer ribbons, Apple IIs, and TRS-80s. Too many cats in the house? Now it's just the scent of heating power supplies, newly opened diskettes, and warm CRTs. Uncle Bob, use your bathroom after the chili cook-off? <laughs> Replace that offensive odor with the aroma of new computers. New Retrofresh comes in three scents. Apple II and TRS-80s. Warm power supply and CRTs. And new computer. It's like a VCF in a can. New Retrofresh. Free yourself from the floral prison of other air fresheners. Jackson & Jackson is an air freshener company. And now we're back for the feedback segment. Um, we have the one item today. that comes from Tim Halloran. Nice fellow on Meditating Assembly last year. He says a big thank you to the rest of the Cocoa crew for enjoyable and informative podcast. So, like I said, nice and to the point, maybe a little generic, but uh, uh, I'll definitely take it. Definitely good to hear from you, Tim. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. And, uh, <laughs> thanks for letting us know that you enjoy it. So yeah, thanks, Tim. People. Thank you, Tim. And also to mention, Tim is the guy behind the, uh, the Cocoa USB power supply. You can power That's your right, yeah. off of USB. That's right. Yeah, Tim's a nice guy. I like him. Yeah, a good guy. He's a Googler. He works at Google. Yeah. Great Googly Moogly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our feedback segment for this month. So why don't we uh, go ahead and uh, cut it here. And um, maybe we'll be back in a little bit with a, uh, a host discussion of some sort. Are you a serious color computer assembly language programmer? Then you'll love EDT. EDT is a full screen editor built expressly for machine language programming. It features a high resolution 51 by 24 screen. Switch between normal or free edit modes. In normal mode, the line you edit is always in the center of the screen, so you can easily see code above and below the line you're editing. 
Mark blocks of code and use move, copy, and delete functions. EDT uses a fixed four-column format for labels, opcodes, operands, and comments. Use the spacebar to tab between columns. And EDT has many useful functions for assembly programmers. Easily generate a list of labels or jump to any label. Use the built-in hexadecimal and decimal calculator. Convert from hex to decimal or decimal to hex. EDT also allows you to generate brackets, braces, and backslashes, providing you with a full character set for 6809 assemblers. EDT also supports a full range of disk operations such as load, save, and append. Easily save and load subroutines in your active edit sessions. And even with a high-resolution screen, you can utilize as much as 48K for programs. EDT is simply the best assembly language editor for the color computer. A 64K Cocoa 1 or 2 with disk drive is required. Why suffer with line editors and endless printouts? EDT is just $39.95 from Sunburst Software, Grants Pass, Oregon. Welcome back. We're going to have a little host discussion. One of the things that uh, was often suggested or has been suggested in the past for this show is uh, to have more video content, which we've largely resisted for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that people have suggested for video content would be uh, we could have examples of people playing video games, you know, like... uh, which might be might be helpful for when you're reviewing a video game. Um, it might be something Neil would enjoy doing. What I find when I watch that sort of stuff on other shows uh, for other podcasts is that watching people play video games is usually not that much fun. <laughs> and it never was that much fun, to be honest. Even back in the 80s, you go to your friend's house and he's playing uh, video games and He's just there to watch. It's never been much fun watching video games, watching other play. And I'd say that's pretty much the way I feel about it. That's um, maybe if you have somebody who's really good and really competitive at uh, you know a video game. Um, if you're really interested in that particular video game, that might be something fun to watch for a little while. But in general, most people aren't so good at video games or. or Games themselves just aren't that interesting in the first place. Watching recordings of someone else play a video game usually is just not that much fun. So it's something that we typically have shied away from doing because we don't like to add things to the show that we don't believe in ourselves, that we don't believe is going to be much fun. So that's pretty much where we are on that. Um, Any of you guys have a case to make for when we would ever want to include a videotape of, or, you know, one of us playing a video game or? Well, I think like you you said, it might be cool for, uh, you know, for Neil to do a video review of the games and post that out there potentially if he's interested in doing that. But but that's not the same as watching people play a video game. I mean, a, a review is directed. I don't mind watching it, especially if it's a new video game or a game you've never heard of. Um, right. So and, and, I don't think, and we're certainly not dissing people that that make <laughs> make videos of playing playing video games. Some people love it, right? Yeah. Some people yeah. love to watch the video games, and there's there's nothing wrong with making put them out there. Personally, when I've gone out and looked for videos, I like to just like get a sample of the gameplay without commentary. Personally, I don't like hearing people, you know joke around and talk or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I'm just talking about my, my personal preference for the things. I'd rather see one that's just the straight gameplay 
you know, <laughs> to get a flavor of, of how the gameplay goes without anybody saying anything uh, so I can hear the sound effects, all that kind of stuff. But it's really quick bites, and it's it's pretty pretty rare. Uh, and it's not, and we're not just talking about the Coco world either. I mean, in general, seeing people play NES games or you know World of Warcraft or any of that thing, it turns into there's a lot of activity on the screen, and everybody's talking about what they're going to eat for dinner or or you know talking to their friends about what they're doing at work and that kind of thing. And it just it, it's just you know it's like watching paint dry. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, you know, if you, we see adding a lot of value to our podcast. So. Yeah, it's not That's something we're going to do. Yeah. Not, not something we're going to do. If, you, if you're doing it and you love it, you know, go to town and, and do it and more power to you. But uh, for us, we're not that interested. Yeah. All right. Uh, is that the end of the story? Do you want to add anything? Sure. I would rather watch someone program a game or code a game than play a game. There's no learning value for me. I'm not a gamer, so it's not something I'm interested in doing. If I'm going to sit down and watch something on YouTube or whatever, it has to be something that is going to be of pedagogical value, and I don't find it interesting to me. That's fine. for Other people do it for entertainment purposes. It's not my type of entertainment. It is better than watching any WNBA game. <laughs> <laughs> well, th there are certain things that it would probably be doing, but I just it's hard pressed for me to think about them. Um, I, I do yeah. see. Let me amend my comment. I do see the value in certain types of games. For instance, if it's an adventure game like King's Quest, and you're doing a commentary as part of a walkthrough in order to explain how to get over certain challenges. Yeah, that might be interesting, I guess, because those types of games tell a story. But if you're just sitting there playing Pac-Man and, you know, clearing screen after screen or whatever, I guess it's I guess it comes down to me as the type of game it is and what is the overall goal of the video? Is it just to sit there and mindlessly play a game, to rack up a high score, or is there some way of teaching you something about the game itself, or as uh, John, you indicated, reviewing it, there's some value there, but um, that's that's the only time I can see myself doing that. Yeah, a little goes a long way. There you go. That's yeah. right. I don't mind the odd game video on YouTube or any other platform for the nostalgia or reference. I mean, I don't watch them, you know, entirely, but sometimes if I'm just thinking of a game, I want to see what it looked like, you know, without, you know, trying to find the game or booting it up. I can just you know, take out the phone and then just check it out. So, I mean, for that that aspect, it's kind of cool. But, I mean, I'm not, not watching it in its entire playthrough, though. Sure. And I guess you can also add archival purposes, you know. Right, archival. Prove that it existed, you know, for the Rick Adams uh, bomb threat uh, style of uh, show that the game existed so you could recreate it. Yeah, that's... That's a great example. All right, so let it be written. No recordings of video games on the Coco Crew. Thus saith the Coco Crew. <laughs> All right. When Tandy introduced the incredible Color Computer 3, it had a very low price. But for some of you, the price wasn't low enough. So you held out. And you held out. 
Well, your patience has just paid off. Because now we're dropping the price of the Color Computer 3 so low that you won't be able to resist. After all, everyone has their price. The 128K Color Computer 3. Only available at Radio Shack. Do you draw on a Coco? Then you need Chroma Sketch, the picture program writer. Chroma Sketch is a graphics package that can actually write a basic program as you draw, paint, and letter on the high-res screen. Simply enable the program writer option and save the program to tape or disk to recreate your picture from basic at any time. Or save the screen as a binary image. Draw complex shapes and patterns. Save these definitions to tape or disk for use in your own basic programs. Chroma Sketch's dual cursors simplify creating arcs, circles, lines, and boxes. Enhance your drawing experience with options like full-screen crosshair cursor, or graph paper grid. Draw complex objects and Chroma Sketch will redraw, rotate, reduce, or enlarge them at any position in any color or pattern. Paint in any dot pattern including checks, stripes, or others that you define yourself. Draw dotted or twisted lines. Overlay color patterns for translucent effects. And the fast, compact graphic programs that Chroma Sketch generates are yours to use in any way you wish without license. These basic programs can be used for games, graphic adventures, educational software, or on-screen slideshows. Chroma Sketch can utilize any combination of joystick-compatible devices, including the touchpad or color mouse. Best of all, Chroma Sketch is just $29.95 on cassette and $34.95 on disc, plus free shipping and handling. Chroma Sketch requires 32K extended basic and works with all ROM versions. Chroma Sketch, the picture program writer from Nexus, Knoxville, Tennessee. Welcome back to Neil's Corner on episode 87 of the Coco Crew Podcast. I figured this month I'd review another new game, that we just covered in the news section. The game is called Cross Snake by Fabrizio Caruso. I certainly hope I pronounced your name right. What caught my eye about this game are two things. Number one, it is based on the old and famous Nokia cell phone game called Snake, which just about everyone who owned that phone used to play that game killing time in between appointments. You know, on that small glorious monochrome LCD screen at that. The second reason though, on a technical aspect, the game is coded in C, with Fabrizio's CrossLib framework. What is CrossLib, you ask? It is a retro hardware abstraction layer for coding, universal, games with the very same code for hundreds of different 8-bit systems, such as computers, game consoles, and other retro hardware. CrossLib is a write-once, run-anywhere framework for those older 8-bit systems. So you code your game in an abstract hardware way, and CrossLib will produce the same code for about 200 other vintage systems. I realize your options are limited, and you can't really code something too complex, but it's great for certain type of games and applications. It would save a ton of time if you wanted to reach a wide range of platforms. If you are interested in checking out this framework and all his games he has written with it, he has an open source page at GitHub. I'll include a link in the show notes. Alright, on to the game. Cross Snake is a combo of Nokia's Snake game, where you eat apples, in the arcade game called Nibbler, with walls blocking your path. In each level, you must collect apples to advance to the next stage. As you eat each apple, your snake will grow, making it harder to move around. Walls and flying stars that will cost you a life. There are also rings you can collect to reveal different secrets, such as hidden walls, that actually will sometimes help you from the flying stars. Another thing you have to watch out for is once your snake gets too long, you can't backtrack on yourself, meaning you always have to leave enough room to move around the walls and other objects. Otherwise, it'll cost you a life. Super simple game, but yet so addicting to play. So far I made it to level 4. This game will run on any of the color computers and makes great use of P-Mode 4 graphics. It also runs at a very smooth clip. If you'd like to play this game on your real Coco or emulator, Fabrizio has included a compiled DSK disk image or cassette image 
that you can download directly from his Facebook posting. It's in the TRS-80 Color Computer Group. Hopefully it'll be added to the Coco archives for those of you who don't use social media. I'll send him a message and see if we can get it uploaded to the archives. Well, there you have it. Once again, another brand new game coded for you to enjoy on your Coco. Until next month, happy Coco gaming and retro forever. In the beginning, people that worked with computers were considered wizards. Focus, focus. Tandy took the mystery out of computers, making easy-to-use systems that can grow with your needs. From your local Radio Shack, you can get hardware and software from one source without any hocus-pocus. Tandy, we take the mystery out of computers. Well, it's that time again. We have reached the end of episode 87 on the Coco Crew podcast. As usual, I'd like to thank our host, John Linville, for procuring all the news articles and providing us with informative tech segments. Mike Rowan, for painstakingly editing the podcast each month and creating those fun commercials. Boise Pete, our Coco historian. He remembers it, so you don't have to. Last but not least, I'd like to thank all of you who listen and support us each month. We also really do appreciate getting your feedback. Until next month, happy cocoing and retro forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. Dance, dance, dance. Dance, dance, dance. Let's go.